Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. I'm your co-host, Dave Kale, coming to you from Los Angeles, California, where it is pouring down rain. It's yet another wet Christmas for us on the, uh, in the Southwest. Oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so, coming uh, from New Hampshire, where it was so cold, my, my kids' schools were given a two-hour delay for extreme cold this morning. It was like a wind chill of negative 10 or something. Which, can I just say, they didn't do that when I was a kid. Like, when, what kind of generation are we raising now that they get a two-hour <laughs> delay for just because it's, le- it's under zero? I mean, seriously. <laughs> Yeah, what is the world coming you know, to? In my day, we still had to go to school. Boy, we. Just, I know was, exactly. It, how are you ever gonna, How are you going to ever find out at what temperature your eye mucus freezes if you're not made to stand out at the bus stop at negative <laughs> ten? Or what temperature your tongue sticks to the pole, right? Exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. These are life lessons. Is you know, come on, people. Absolutely, those are things that childhood. That's what memories are made. <laughs> it's it's what it's what wisdom is based upon. You know. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway, sounds, okay. Sorry. That sorry, sounds sorry. almost as bad as the rain out here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, if you're joining, if you're joining us live, uh, and you're wondering why we started later, that's why because it was because it was below zero, and Corey's kids couldn't go to school because it was blame New Hampshire weather. Two poles. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And if you're wondering who these other two voices are who are joining me on this podcast, <laughs> well, you're probably not. You know who they are. But they are Trish Lambert and Corey Olson. Excellent. Oh, Very yeah. good. Welcome, everybody. All right. So this is session 12. We are doing episode or session 16. We're doing episode 12 today. We're, we are talking about the penultimate episode of season two. Hard to believe. We're coming to the end of season two already, uh, uh, which is super exciting. Um and today is a really big episode. Today is is sort of it's the it's it's in a lot of ways the turning point and sort of the uh, the 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 reveal of the sort of the final tension for the final episode the the big dis, the big catastrophe at the end of season two, um, which of course is going to be the darkening of Valinor. So we're going to get right up to the cusp of that here today. Um, let me start off with this, a couple quick announcements because we've got some fairly awesome things going on. It is uh, uh, it is the season of the Fellowship of the Ring these days in uh, in in in, in Mythgard. Uh, I am uh, immersing myself in the Lord of the Rings these days, and so I wanted to make sure you guys knew about two really fun opportunities uh, in which you, where you can you can you can jump in here with me uh, to the Fellowship of the Ring first. Uh, this past Wednesday, two days ago, we began the Mythgard Academy class on the Return of the Shadow, the first volume in the history of the Lord of the Rings series in Volume Six of the History of Middle Earth. Um, we talked about the first four drafts of the long expected party. So when Tolkien sat down in 1937 to try to force himself to produce a sequel to The Hobbit, how did he do it, and what did he come up with, and how, what, what you know? So we were talking about the growth that we could see already in those first four. Uh, for drafts, really fun to see what was there from the very beginning and uh, what kinds of things were growing and changing as uh, as as he went. So the first session was really fun. It was so full we actually filled up the netmoot session and had to do an overflow on Twitch. So uh, that, so that was great. We'll have our overflow. I'll have my overflow prepared in advance this time instead of doing it spontaneously. 
Uh, but anyway, it was it was really great. So uh, we're going to have class again next Wednesday, uh, the Wednesday. So what, what is that, like the 19th or something like that? No, it is totally not. It's the 21st. The 29th is the Monday. So Wednesday, the 21st of December, we will have uh, we'll have the second session. Um, and then after that, we're going to uh, we're going to have a, a break for the holidays and come back in the beginning of January. Now, speaking of the beginning of January, in the beginning of January, I'm starting the other thing, which is the Fellowship of the Ring thing, which is I am going to teach my way through the Lord of the Rings. I've decided that I've not taught the Lord of the Rings in three years and I'm not putting up with it anymore. Um, so I'm going to do I'm going to, to, to make up for this by doing the longest, most indulgent, like most self-indulgent teaching of the Lord of the Rings I've ever done in my entire life. I'm going to go through the Lord of the Rings chapter by chapter, and I'm going to make absolutely no attempt to push myself along speedily through this book. I fully plan uh, to teach, to, to take in weekly sessions, to take somewhere between one and two years to teach the entire Lord of the Rings. I'll be surprised if I finish the whole thing in two years, frankly. Um, I'm super excited uh, to do this. I've never been able to really give the Lord of the Rings the same kind of chapter-by-chapter treatment that I gave to The Hobbit in my book, and I'm really keen to do it. So I've decided the time is now, and I'm going to do that. So I'm calling this uh, session Exploring the Lord of the Rings. We're going to start on Tolkien's birthday. It's going to be a Tuesday night thing. So Tuesday night, January 3rd, 125th anniversary of Tolkien's birth, we're going to start exploring the Lord of the Rings and talk about the long-expected party. The published Long Expected Party, not the unpublished one we were talking about on Wednesday. Um, and now the other really cool element of this, it's going to be broadcast not on our NetMood as usual, but on our Signum University Twitch channel. That's twitch, T-W-I-T-C-H dot TV slash SignumU. Um, because I'm going to be hosting this session from inside the Lord of the Rings online. Uh, and uh, in addition, so at the end of the class, I'll talk about the Lord. I'll be, you know talk about the Fellowship of the Ring for you know probably about an hour, hour and a half or so. And then for the last half hour, we're going to do a field trip uh, in the game and look at the adaptation of the of that uh, portion of the book and that segment of the plot uh, that we talked about that day, um, and look at what Turbine did with it. Uh, in game. Uh, so anyway, so I'm, I'm really, it's going to be a really, really fun combination. Uh, so those of you who play Lotro, you can join me in game for the field trip. Um, I'm going to be rotating among different servers. So whichever server you're on, you should be able to join me. And also, um, the, but, but if you're not, it's fine. Again, you can just watch, uh, and participate in the class like you would in a Mythgard Academy class. Uh, so that's going to be starting Tuesday night, January 3rd. Um, and, uh, and it's it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, so join me in my season of the Fellowship of the Ring here, uh, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be neat. Um, okay, so um, so let's uh, let's let's move on and talk about episode twelve. But actually, first, let's go back and, and touch on a couple things from last time. And those of you who are here live, if there are things that you want to make sure that we if. if other things that you want us to revisit. Um, one thing I wanted to point to, because I realized it's not like a change from last time necessarily, but it's a, it's a thing that I think didn't get quite enough play last time, or rather didn't really fully realize the significance of something. I want to make sure that we, because it's a super important moment at the end of episode 11. So episode 11 ended, as we were describing it last time, with the encounter between Feanor and Melkor at the gate. Um, a Formanos. When uh, so, episode eleven ended with uh, uh, with Fanor slamming the door in Melkor's face. 
And I had mentioned that it would be kind of fun because, you know, I, I, I mentioned it would be kind of fun that if if in that moment, like we see this like flash of rage on Melkor's face and his appearance actually changes and we see him for a brief moment uh, before he, you know, he, he vanishes or, you know, like disappears in a in a in a clap of thunder or something um, that we uh, uh, that we see him revealed in his like old tyrant's form. Uh, from when he was ruling in Utumno, um, and that that would be kind of a, a cool reveal and sort of confirmation that, uh, you know, that for Melkor, the gloves are coming off now. Well, what I was realizing as I was reviewing before today's episode was that is gonna that should be the confrontation with Fanor at the gates of Formanos is the last time we will ever, in the entire history of film film, show Melkor looking attractive. That's the last time we would show Melkor in fair semblance. Um, because he, uh, the, the text explicitly says like he, you know, he, 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 he resumed the form of the tyrant of Utumno, um, you know, which, which for, in which form he remained ever after. Um, so we've got to, to, that's a big deal, right? I mean, so basically literally the face of Melkor, the, 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 the Melkor that we have shown and, that people have gotten used to for two years now is gone and will never come back again. Like this is the, so we kind of need to say goodbye <laughs> to, to, uh, to, to, to attractive Melkor. Um, uh, so it just kind of occurred to me that we kind of need to make a, we need, we, we need to make a sort of a bigger deal. Uh, uh, with that. Exactly. Sexy Melkor is gone, Karita, never to return. Um, he can be intimidating. He can be impressive. Uh, he doesn't have to become ugly necessarily. Um, but, uh, but he has to be, he has to be the tyrant. And I think, you know, this is a discussion for next time. Um, and of course for the beginning of season three, uh, there's still a significant change, I think, that, it, that, that I, I think we need to show him in a kind of a transitional state because after he is marred by the Silmarils, after his hand is burned, I mean, one of the elements of his appearance and of his whole demeanor um, that we should be demonstrating in future seasons is pain. Like, he's in physical pain from his hand. Um, so he's, he is not yet... Uh, scarred like literally scarred yet he will become scarred and that it, you know needs to be an element of not only of his of his physique but of his personality um so he's not yet he's still whole uh physically whole um and yet sort of now kind of given over to his uh you know and and re- revealing his 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 anger and his arrogance um so Anyway, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I, so. We need to be thinking about, and this is this is I think a really a special challenge for the uh, like costuming and makeup folks uh, to think about, like this kind of transitional Melkor where we see him as revealed to be uh, angry and evil, but um, uh, but not yet. I don't know, sort of like blackened, right? Not yet, uh, uh, not yet. He, he needs to change more after the encounter with, uh, with Ungoliant. Um, and we talked about, um, we talked a long time ago about having really the, the, the climax of the show 
of course, this is for next time, be that transition from Melkor to Morgoth, right? Where he, he, he really embodies this new identity of Morgoth. Um, so he's not yet Morgoth. He's still Melkor, right? In episode 11, when we show him in episode 11, after Feanor slams the door in his face and before the uh, fight with, with, uh, with Ungoliant, he's still Melkor, but he's, he is wrathful, arrogant, tyrant Melkor, not beautiful, semblant uh, counselor and, uh, you know, all around wise, good guy Melkor, which is what he's been most of the time here in season two. Um, so I have no concrete suggestions on how we depict that. That is not my department. But um, so what do you guys think? Do you think we should should we take more time with that? Should we uh, uh, I mean, do you like the idea of have of, of sort of showing that moment like Feanor slams the door and so Feanor doesn't see the change? Right. But uh, but, you know, we sort of, you know, pause there and have a moment where like the fair semblance falls away and we never see it again. Kind of like the Hulk. Sort of like the Hulk. <laughs> kind of like the Hulk, except <laughs> not exactly the same. And I have to be completely irreverent here and say this just reminds me of in Lotro, you can actually do, you know, change your character. You can, if you enter mood angry, then your character's face has an angry face. Right. <laughs> right. For like ever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. That's what yeah. makes you think mood yes. angry. Yes. <laughs> um, As... I, I actually do think, I think. It's going to have to be done deftly, mm-hmm. so it's not cheesy. Yes. But I do because I think this is a is am I using the word seminal correctly here? A seminal moment. It is. It, this it's, is. It's, it's, it's a very important moment. It is a very important moment. You know, uh, it's going to you know this this not only like a foreshadow of things to come, but this is like we are now seeing who he really is as well. Yes. You know, this is the moment where we verify what the audience has been suspecting. Yes. Is he really is an evil dude. So yeah, I think there needs to be some time taken on it, and um, and I think it, again, it's going to take some uh, craft to make it really work well and not be completely cheesy. Do we have anybody see it? Does Nerdinell see? Ooh, good question. Good question. I think that I'm kind of thinking would, that actually. I'm thinking that might back be... on the door. How is she going to see it? But also, Unless doesn't that also? <laughs> I think that makes it too on the net. Like, it's more suspenseful if we see it, but none of the characters see it, right? Right. So the nerd now basically just gets left with her intuition, right? As opposed to absolute evidence. Yeah. Yeah, that creates that creates a certain amount of conflict because it's she has an intuition but no proof, so she can't prove it to the other characters. Right. But we know she's right. Yeah. (laughs) That's true, you know, because if she did see it and then the people didn't disbelieved her, I don't know. That's kind of like. I don't know. I suppose that's a little bit like Melian and Thingol, but still, I'd yeah. rather leave her with her intuition. Yeah, yeah. Hakan, I, I love Hakan's suggestion. He says he could just harden, not moving, almost not reacting. That'd be creepy. I totally, yeah. I like that. Like they, we just show him sort of like frozen, staring at the gate, and you can tell that he's furious, but he's not. You know, he doesn't storm around, right? He's not, and he just, he just change and the change can be subtle right but the, the sense would be yeah. he's he's controlling himself but he's so angry that like his rage is like manifesting itself in his outward appearance almost like without mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. consciousness 
Um, yeah, so just yeah. to show him like staring at the gate with this like flat affect, right, on his face. It's kind of yeah. like he can't, he doesn't he can't control that anymore. In other words, he just yes. has no he can't control holding it in anymore. Yes, kind of thing. Yeah, and it's important because this is now how we are going to like I think you said this is how we are going to now be seeing him. Yes, from this point forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I mean, I think there there can be another transition. I think that when he is. You know, post fight with Ungoliant, he can look different. You know, when he when he really fully takes his, because that I think is one part of the tragedy um, that we want to emphasize with Morgoth. Really, um, is that you know his his descent into Morgoth is 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 a descent. Yeah, it is a fall. Um, so actually, this would be a, an interim step. What we're seeing. Yes, in this exactly. Thing it would be an like interim step. That direction. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah. he wouldn't have the full Neanderthal ridge yet. Or <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. In as much as he is going to receive one, he won't have it yet. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, <laughs> John says, this is Anakin with Sith eyes, but not yet full Darth Vader. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. Good. Um, uh, okay, so uh, uh, anything else from from last time? You know, there was some discussion about uh, and and uh, Maria. I wanted to highlight one of the things you said on the discussion boards uh, uh, in the interim here um, about the sort of bunker mentality at Formanos and the way in which by having all of Episode Eleven taking place in Formanos and 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 having you know that we we, we can create that kind of not only sort of claustrophobic like we are shut in and we are you know we are hemmed in a narrow space to quote uh you know to quote uh the 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 text there right um we can convey that sense of like we the valar have imprisoned us right so that formanos becomes in fanor's mind and through episode 11 hopefully to some extent in the mind of our viewers um as a kind of a symbol it's like synecdoche for valinor Formanos is really nice, right? And yet it's a prison, or it feels like a prison, or it's uh, they they look at it like it's a prison, and that's again that's like that's that's Valinor in a nutshell from the Feanorian perspective at this point. Um, so I really like that. I, so I, I I I agree with Marie in really liking that kind of um, that kind of shutting in, and it also gives us a great opportunity um, to. Uh, um, uh, it, give, it gives us a great opportunity to, to, to show the suspicions and even the, the sort of the increasing departure of their suspicions from reality. Um, but again, because they're shut away, um, because they have shut themselves away, really, um, they and, 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 are, and are kind of shutting themselves off from the Valar, they have nothing but their own, you know, their own thoughts and their own suspicions to, uh, to sort of inform reality. Um, but... Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> so I like that. I like that. Um, yep. So let's return to where what's the, the first question from last time? The Valar stuff. So last time I talked about doing the reveal <clears throat> in this episode, finally showing the viewers the Valar from the backstage view. Right, seeing the Valar among themselves, not just what the 
not just showing the audience what the the Noldor are thinking about the the Valar, but this is we still have to be we have to be really careful in this reveal, right? Because we could theoretically undo all the work along the way. Again, the whole point of withholding stuff as we've been withholding stuff from the viewers is not to you know bamboozle the viewers. It's we're not even changing very much at all as far as the actual sequence of of events and what's going on. What we're attempting to do is to bring the audience alongside the Noldor and their experience. And this is something, again, you know, Dave, I'm thinking back to what you were saying last time about um, the the way in which we're, you know, the, the way in which we're changing, the significance of not only, of, of, of shifting the genre of the story, right, from the kind of chronicle overview that we get in the published text uh, to something which really attempts to come a little closer to the actual sort of experience, you know, uh, emotional and psychological experience of the people involved. Um, it, it's really important for us to be trying to, uh, t- for us to be really conscious about how we do that. And I continue to say that the just the, this whole season is going to be a failure if we make the Valar look stupid or if we make the Noldor look like fools. Um, both of them, but you know that 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 has to be. We have to be able to walk that line. So, how do we do our reveal, and to what extent do we do our reveal without making it, um, without crossing that line? You know, without without kind of wrecking it there at the last second. So, so first question: How much do we want to reveal? What do we want to do? One option would be to go full like revisionist version thing you know dave here i'm thinking of the the you know what you were talking about last time about the i'm forgetting the name of it the the uh the 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 tv show you were talking about about showing the same scene from two different points of view right ah yes the affair yeah yeah the affair yeah um you know again not 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 that we fully do that and reshow the same entire you know whole entire scenes that we showed before and everything but to what extent do we go for that effect to what extent do we go you know we could start you know, having ended at Formanos, we could we could you know the 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 curtain rises in uh, in Valmar, right among the Valar. We maybe we start the episode from the point of view of the Valar, and uh, and we could go backwards in time. We could do the whole thing, right? We could have the trial and just the sort of this not the second trial or the second you know the anyway investigative hearing, right about. Uh, what, re- what what went wrong with Feanor and, and how they discovered that it was that it was Melkor? We could not do that. We could stay in the present tense. Um, what would we want to do? How much would we want to reveal? And uh, and 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 do we want to really show it from the Valar point of view this time? What, what what do you guys generally think? What do we need to accomplish with that? <clears throat> well, I think. Um, I think that, 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 that precisely what you were saying that we like we need to show that we need to show that they're not they're not just sort of being capricious tyrants and kicking um, the Noldor out, um, right. out of Tyrion, right? <clears throat> we need to we need to show that they have they need to have but but we have to be careful. We can't just make them right and the Noldor clearly wrong too, right? <clears throat> Um, how to do that? I'm not sure. I guess maybe maybe what we need to show is a certain amount of uh, is at least some some of them who are reluct- like some ambivalence about it or some reluctance to do it. You know, like 
I mean, we don't we don't want them to we don't want the the, the old cop out of like, well, my hands are tied, but um, but we want to show that there's some not necessarily dissension, but there that 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 there's clearly some you know some some agonizing over this decision because they understand that that there's kind of it's a rock and a hard place. Yeah, uh, it seems it's tolerating this kind of this kind of behavior and allowing permitting permitting you know um, uh, threats and threats of violence and that kind of stuff goes against everything that they're supposed to be trying to achieve there. Um, but um, you know, but but obviously, obviously, sending Feanor, um and his father away is clearly also a failure. That it's right. just basically, it's it's maybe the, the the tragedy is that things things got to this point and they didn't right. catch it sooner. Right, right. And we could, I mean, do we want to have people discussing that? Like, do we want to show the Valar? you know manway being like we've kind of we've handled this poorly <laughs> i feel bad about yep. this in retrospect i mean do we do we want to go that far and show remorse or recognition on their part or do we show them still sort of hoping that things are going to turn out well or even show them kind of deluded about it you know maybe they don't really understand um where fan or you know the effect that maybe they're still hoping that this like term of banishment will be just the thing that fan or needs and they don't understand how sort of destructive um i don't know i i think i think they i think they should understand i think we want them to understand um but 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 to have like basically they seem like the types who would would well, I don't know. I guess if you look at the 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 the, the Valar in the in the text, they sometimes seem like they don't get it. But um, I, I think they probably should get it for the most part. But 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 they just basically maintain hope um, because they don't see any other anything else. They don't see any other way. Like right. that that seems consistent with them, right? Like that they would kind of they're. It's almost like I, I'm, I'm loath to use the word faith because that's you know overloaded in modern American society, but but it amounts to a type of faith of that type, right? Like right. where it's where it's admitting that like boy things are bad and this doesn't look too good and it's hard to see how this is going to turn out well. We don't really have any choice, and so we have to you know we have to have faith or hope that that it's going to kind of this is going to work out. The kind of that Iluvatar has got our back in some sense. Yes, and the thing is, it, it's not that hard to to to, we don't have to show them as being deluded in order for them to believe that they've done the right thing yes um i mean again remember one of the things we were talking about last time is being when we were trying to sort of understand why fan finway especially would do what he did and the whole unkinging of finway and the sense that they have of the 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 Valar having overstepped their bounds and and transgressed his, uh, you know, on his domain, right, as king. Um, That could be something that there's just a sort of flat misunderstanding about, right? You know, that that they don't get that at all. They don't they they, they really don't see that Um, because that could be a matter of perspective, right? I mean, from their point of view, they're. The, they're in charge, right? I mean, uh, uh, the, the rest of the Val, especially the rest of the Valor who are not Manway, right? You know, they're like, we all submit to Manway. Like, why Why should Feanor and Finway not submit to Manway? Like, everybody 
submits to Manway, right? Why are they, why is this an issue? Like they would totally not even get why it's a thing, right? Um, and the whole idea of like, but you are transgressing our like private solidarity over Noldor affairs could be something that just, they don't, they don't, it's not even on their radar screen. They, they don't even understand that at all. Um, so. Should, yeah. should we make maybe, should we make maybe some of them get it? Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, my, my concern is that if the Noldor kind of raise that objection and they dismiss it entirely, that that's going to make them look, that's going to make them look a little, not foolish, but, um, you know, makes them seem less wise. Right. Right. Um, yes. Um, I think they can. I think they can. I think they can kind of accept that's a reasonable, reasonable point of view, while at the same time saying, but that that it's in some sense that it's irrelevant. Right. Right. That you know this is still our call. Like yes, this isn't. This is yes. It may be a Noldor matter, but it's not only internal to the Noldor. Right. Um, you know, that right. People wandering around with with swords. Um, uh, and threatening each other yes. is, you know, just just because is just you know like you don't get off on a technicality. Well, because the person you happen to threaten happens to also be a Noldor and um, right. Noldo and, and and a member of your household means that it's now an internal matter and uh, and we don't have jurisdiction. You know, right. if it had been if it had been somebody else, then then we'd drop the hammer. But because you threatened your brother, it's fine. You know, right. we'll let you guys work it out. Like, right. I, I I mean that, that one could make an argument that that's that, that's a very le- like on the one hand a, a a an understandable point of view. Look, this is just an internal dispute, and we'll handle it. Um, on the other hand, uh, one could argue that's a very legalistic um, yes. uh, defense. Yes, I mean I I think that I. It seems to me that ideal success in our depiction would be that when we're with the Noldor, the Noldor point of view is really compelling and makes sense and like the viewer can kind of share the outrage of the Noldor against the Valar. But when we shift to the Valar, suddenly we see the whole thing from an entirely different point of view and what the Noldor are saying are is like suddenly looks... Uh, narrow and shallow. Like we can still relate to it, we can still feel it, we can still recognize why how they got to where they are, but see that that it's not. And and Dave, I think what you were just t- pointing at it seems to me really to be the heart of the matter, right? Um, to to be you know, to, the Noldor are acting like uh, the whole issue here. Like Finway is acting like the whole issue is that you know you've you've transgressed my authority, and for the Valar to be basically thinking. What, what is this issue of your authority compared to the much bigger deal of breaking the peace of Valinor, right? Like, you guys broke the peace of Valinor, and as you said, Dave, like, who cares if it was an internal matter? Like, that, that's a right. transgression. Again, like, right. this, this is, this is, this is, this is Valar business, right? You know, we are the, we are the lords of Valinor. We are the, like, you have transgressed the peace of the Valar, okay? Like, I don't care that it was internal. Um, and they would get that because, again, they have the – it's not because they're just, like, wiser or or because they're asserting authority just. It's – but because their perspective is wider because, you know, what has been happening to the Noldor is this constriction of their viewpoint, 
right? Where they, um, the the whole point of because remember the enti- what's happening not just with Fanor himself personally, but with all of the Noldor is a fall, right? And yeah. ultimately, to depict the fall, what we want to depict is this turning inward, right? Um, ceasing to look at the big picture and what is best for everyone and focusing more and more on self. And that's what the Noldor as a people are doing, focusing more and more on self. So that the fact that Fanor, uh, and, and you know, and not just, I mean, Fanor is the one who actually drew his sword, right? But the whole attitude of all of the people with the stockpiling arms and weapons that had been happening and everything um, is, is breaking the peace, Right, the whole their whole attitude is fundamental is is wrong. I mean, it's it's just it's a it's a it's a wrong attitude, um, and the Valar see this, and they were right to punish it, uh, and the the banishment of Fanor is just, and yet the resentment of the banishment is also very understandable. You can see where they're coming from, but it's um, but it's nevertheless, uh, uh, you know. The 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 the, uh, uh, the point of view, um, if I'm remembering correctly, that's the adjective Tolkien uses of it, at least about languages. Um, the Valian perspective is is uh, also easily understandable. That we need to be able to shift into that gear relatively easily. I think. Right. So basically, I mean, I think, and this is true of true of a lot of the the, the stories that we see. Um, in the Silmarillion, Tolkien in general, I guess literature in general, right? That there's kind of that the the choice here is both just and tragic, right? Right. Yes. Sort of, at least, especially in hindsight. I, you know, like in hindsight, seeing the consequences, it's obviously tragic. It's like, well, that was obviously that was obviously in some sense the it was right. It was right in that it was just, but it was clearly wrong in that it like the consequences were horrible. Right. Right, right. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's the uh, the the I, I the uh, image that uh, Marielle was invoking a little while ago, which seems to me right um, to think about, like the the conflict between a between a parent and a rebellious teenager. Right, where on the one hand, it's hard to sh- like it's hard for the parent to do anything right. Right, if they attempt to discipline the teenager, then they just confirm the teenager's feelings right about the oppressiveness of the parents and yet if they don't punish the teenager then it's worse right um the valar should be in that kind of a bind um and you know that we are and that should be the kind of recognition that i think i that i would love to be able to 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 produce to sort of recognize when we see the valar point of view it's not that we come out of it being like, oh man, the Valar have been 100% right from the very beginning, but rather we can understand the difficult position they're in and how they are trying both to respect the Noldor and, but also to, you know, sort of maintain, (laughs) you know, discipline to maintain what, what is right. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and but it but it does really need to be tragic, and we do need to. We, we, it it we should be able to show, as parents, the 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 Valar have not handled this perfectly, and I'm right. still thinking that the the one of the reasons for that is just kind of being out of touch. Like they just they don't really understand. They don't really understand how, um, how sort of how extreme the reactions of the Noldor have gotten. They don't they don't get the fact that 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 Feanor 
certainly, um, has begun to think of them as actual oppressors, right? That's just not right. on their radar screen. They don't, they don't get that. Um, yeah, uh, I think that, that, yeah. that makes sense that they're, if they're, if they're oblivious in any direction, it would be in the direction of, of not understanding, of not perceiving the depth of the problem. Right. You know, that, that, they they are they certainly understand the severity of the symptom. Like, whoa, this guy's running around with a sword and threatening his brother. Okay, well, he broke the piece of, uh, of Valinor, so we're gonna have to punish him and all that kind of stuff. But they're not perceiving that. Like, actually, this actually requires an even more thoughtful and and um, comprehensive intervention. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, and especially since it, it with the banishment. Um, Another mistake that they're likely making, I would think, is that they think that Fanor is just a bad egg. Right. Right, that they don't understand how... And which is why perhaps they would be most puzzled by Finway's reaction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's go back then, having thought this through a little bit more, which I'm, uh, which I'm glad of. Let's now go back to the actual practical details. So what do we show? Now, if we want to do a contemporary thing, um, that is to say, if we don't want to do a flashback, if we want to, if we want to keep the action contemporary when we turn to the Valar here, the moment it would seem to be would be the dis- the 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 decision that they make to bring Feanor to the feast for reconciliation. Right? They're going to send Aonwe, uh to Formanos to bring Feanor. What what is going to what they are going to uh, 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 to see as an invitation. Uh, enforced if necessary, and which uh, you know, Fanor is going to treat like an arrest, basically. Yep. Um. So they have to decide. So we could show them at the beginning discussing, basically, this question: like, what do we do about Fanor? Um. And I don't think we necessarily have to. I don't think we necessarily have to show have to go back over old ground through exposition. Like, I don't think we have to, you know, have them do a backwards reveal in that way, um, you know, about all the other conversations they've been having that we haven't been showing to this point. I think that right. we can kind of encapsulate a lot of what's going on with them in this conversation with their, you know, because what they're doing is, you know, Dave, you know, like we've been talking about, like, okay, what do we do now? Right. How do we, um, how do we, how do we save this situation? Right. You know, how can we how can we best maintain, you know, uh, uh, peace, law and order in Valinor and also, you know, show appropriate, you know, uh, 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 love and love, attention and discipline to uh, to to Feanor and and the other Noldor. Um, Right. And so, of course, obviously, the question of like the extent to which they blame Melkor for all this can, would obviously come up in that conversation. Right. So we can cover some of that ground and, 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 and it can therefore also be this again, not exactly a reveal, but um, this can also really help to show, um, uh, you know, what, uh, what's, what their thoughts had been about that. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, in what terms do they conclude this? What do they, what should they say in this discussion, this discussion about inviting fan? What do they, 
hope to accomplish exactly? What are their thoughts? Like, what are... If everything went according to plan at the feast, like the Valar's plan, how would it go? What's yeah, their plan? What, what, would have, what would have occurred? Yeah. Mm. Um, hey, and, uh, uh, the sorry, this takes us backward a little bit, but I was thinking, uh, maybe this is self-obvious, but clearly sort of <clears throat> one of the ways that we can achieve sort of all these different ends or representing these different point of views is to have different, different Valar take different yes. perspectives on this, yes. right? I mean, yes. clearly. Like, I think, I think ultimately sort of the, the kind of the, the group position, group final position should be, ta- it should be best represented by Manway. Yes. Um, you know, sort of the, like, kind of the, the sort of emphasizing sort of a compassionate form of justice, but maybe, you know, um, um, there's there's some folks who are more on the like you know hey we should maybe there's some people that think they should like lock him up or send him to a you know, some val- valiant labor camp. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. So you know this is this you're right. This is very important. Who is anti Fanor? Who is like the one who is the the ones who are who are speaking against mercy for Fanor? You know, I I was originally going to propose. Um, uh, Mandos, just because he is sort of like the, but actually, I'm kind of now I'm starting to think that Mandos is kind of more like as opposed to being sort of the like the stern the stern the stern um, justice guy, he's kind of the like fatalist who's just not really saying much and just kind right. of sitting here nodding his head saying, yeah, this is you know, right, yep, everything's going to hell just the way I thought it would. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I actually, so I don't think he would be. My first, my first intuition was maybe it would be him, but now I'm thinking it's not him. Um, uh, yeah, someone like someone like uh, Aonwe or Tolkis or someone like that. Well, Tolkis is another obvious candidate, right? I mean, as we're approaching one of the famous mm-hmm, moments mm-hmm. where Tolkis, like, uh, you know, impatiently oh, and right. unwisely yeah. speaks up against Feanor, right? Yeah, um, good point. With the breaking of the Silmarils, so I mean, we're not there yet. Um, but, um, anyway, yeah. So, um, uh, we could be setting that up though, right? If we show Tolkas being the one who is impatient with Feanor from the beginning, then we'll be prepared for when he steps up and he's like, you know, speak, oh, no, no, yay or nay. Um, but who shall divide, who shall deny Yavanna? Um, we'd be prepped for that if it's Tolkis who's speaking against uh, uh, Feanor in the first place. Also, yeah. the one who is impatient with Feanor is clearly wrong, right? Not, not dumb, right? Not totally wrong, as Feanor, of course, does sort of deserve to be spoken against, and yet to speak again, to just be like, we should come down on that guy like a ton of bricks. Like that is missing the point, right? That is that is not the solution to this problem. Um, that w- yes. if that if that council were taken, it would be a disastrous choice. And so, therefore, I'm thinking this sounds like a Tolkis move. We can't have it be Olmo, for instance, um, because Olmo is the one who is, you know, we're going to be showing as persistently one of the most wise of all of the Valar and the one who keeps getting it even when most of the rest of them cease to get it. Um, 
right. in, in his contact with Middle Earth later on. So obviously it can't be Olmo. Tolkas is an obvious candidate. I think we should probably, maybe we don't overthink it and we just go there. Um, right. Uh, well, yeah. we have some of the, you know, more obscure Malar that we can kind of. Yeah. It's true. Find them the it's true. And Karita, I get it. I know, like, you know, Karita says, poor Tolkas, we never let him be on the right side of an argument. I know, right? I mean, it's <laughs> it's like what happens when uh, when when Tolkien just flat out says you're of no avail as a counselor, right? You know, it's always like, hey, is somebody going to make a dumb argument? Let's give it to Tolkas, <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's, it's hard to resist yeah. that. Um, I, well, there are others, right? Other Valar who have, uh, who have thought he was okay, right? Who was it? Did we already say this, Nana? Was Nana one? Who yeah, advocated for him? If ever, if ever there were, a, if ever there was a, an obvious candidate for more sympathetic to the plight of the of the Noldor, it's Nana. Right, right, <laughs> right. I mean, this is this is a person who was defending Melkor. So, right, <laughs> Come on. exactly. And Marie says she, she argues for mercy for everyone. Is kind of her thing. So that's true. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Nick says, uh, seriously, though, Tolkas revels in violence. No one got hurt. Is this really a big deal for him? Uh, <laughs> um, but see, here's the other Tolkas moment that I'm remembering. I'm remembering Tolkas clenching his fists when Melkor walks by in Valinor during the time of his freedom. Um, and then the comment that the, the Silmarillion narrator makes that where he, like, he basically he doesn't do anything. He restrains him. Tolkas restrains himself because those who would support authority against rebellion must not themselves rebel. Right. Um, so he, you know, I could see him uh, being impatient with rebellion. Right. And being readier than the rest of them to just say, like, to just call a spade. We, we could we could have him be right in a sense. I mean, the, the we, we don't have to, again, we don't have to just make Tolkis 100 percent wrong all the time. I mean, he could be saying what is true, but suggesting a course of action which would be bad, basically. Um, he could be the one of all of the of all of the the Valar who is most ready to believe that Feanor and the other uh, Noldor are rebellious, like not just mistaken, not just mm-hmm. dis- deluded by Melkor, but rebellious against the Valar themselves. And he could be to- totally justified in that. Um, and yet, the attitude that he has, and and the the sort of tendency against mercy, perhaps that he that he is showing, would nevertheless be wrong. Uh, and would not be a good course of action. Um, yeah, Hakan, I'm thinking about Aule's perspective as well. On the one hand, Aule is going to be sympathetic towards them. I think that Aule should be the 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 last one. This is a point that Tolkien took out in the 1937 Quintus Silmarillion. He still has Aule, like forswear the Noldor. Like Aule is ticked off when the Noldor rebel, um, and uh, because you know he was closest to them. And seems to be like most deeply betrayed by them. Um, so, uh, uh, so like w- when when the Noldor rebel, Aule is done with them. Absolutely done with the Noldor. Um, and I think that we can build up that kind of thing by showing him he, he can still be the one having faith. He can still be arguing for them, right? Because he thinks he knows them. 
because he assumes that they are like him. They are like him in many ways, but they're not just like him, right? Um, so, uh, um, anyway, it's, it's, um, I, 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 so I saw, but I, so I think at this stage we should have him be totally pro. So maybe, maybe, maybe we have Tolkas be the, the anti-Noldor voice, right? The, like, these people are rebellious jerks voice, which is kind of true and have, 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 uh, uh, Aule standing up for them, right? Passionately defending them and turn out to be wrong in his defense. Right. And so he feels betrayed. Um, and yet, Again, what Tolkis is arguing they should do would be bad, and what Aule is arguing they should do would actually be better. Um, ooh, Marie makes a good point that Orame should have a should have a uh, yeah, should have a, a horse in this race, right? Because he's the one who yeah. brought him over in the first place. Um, Marie suggests maybe he takes it personally that Fanor has broken the peace and ruined the you know the happy commune that he tried to help bring about here in Valinor. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would see, I, I, certainly after the break, I would think that Orame would be right along with Aule as being done with the Noldor basically. Um, yeah. 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 Are we going to show some of this in, in, in episode 11? No. No. I don't want to pull the curtain back. So we're not going to show it. I think we agreed no Valinor. I think we actually Yeah, we, yeah, we agreed no Valinor in episode 11. Again, mostly because I really liked the idea of a cloistered episode in Formanos in, yeah, in yeah. episode 11. Um, again, because because again, I think what we want to accomplish there is by the end of episode 11, we want to show like the the sort of increasing the 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 suspicion shifting towards paranoia of Feanor uh, and the and and the Noldor against the Valar, sort of coming to a coming to a head, right? You know, becoming more and more detached from reality, and then we shift back in Episode Twelve and show what the Valar are really doing and thinking. Um, I don't want to I, I don't want to diffuse that too early, if you see what I mean by that. No, that's true. Yeah. Um, um, a question, just for my... We're, we're not worrying too much about what's going on with Sauron and company at this point, right? I mean, well, there's no real way that they'd really know what's going on, is there? No. This is something we need to return to. We talked about them a long time ago. We haven't returned to them. We had an arc that I liked that I think we should do. We haven't talked about how we need to insert that. So I'm thinking... And just as we have, uh, we've abandoned both the frame and the bad guy sub subplot for many episodes now. And I think that we should solve both of those things in the same way. I think we need a special episode in the post-production set of season two to kind of go back, think through that stuff and integrate it in. Okay. Um, so we'll not worry about that for now. Yeah. So we won't worry about it. Let's, so let's, the die is cast. Let's carry on not worrying about it for now. (laughs) Yep. Um, okay. Okay. So, uh, so, all right, let's, um, so we have the debate about, and, and, but, but they're going to decide to summon Feanor to the feast, right? With the hope of what, what, again, what's their goal? They want to show him goodwill, right? 
that we are not, um, so they, the vow are thinking we want to show him, you know, we're not just exiling him. You know, we're, this is not a permanent exile. We're not just wanting to get rid of you. Right. Um, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not merely kicking you out. We want to integrate you. We want you to come back. Um, they see this as like a pro, not an anti Feanor or like even like an anti-violence thing, but like a pro-peace move, right? We want to bring reconciliation. We want to bring you, Feanor, back into the fold. They send out an invitation. Um, I do not think it should come, it, they should deliver it as a command. So when Aonwe shows up at Formanos, he shouldn't be like, Feanor, you are commanded by order of Manwe to come to, but that, that shouldn't be how he delivers it. It should be an invitation. Um, even like a, you know, scene, uh, like Aonwe totally, ex- like when he delivers it, he expects this to be like, to be received as a concession, right? An act of kindness, um, of generosity by the Valar. And he'll be sort of shocked and appalled that Feanor sees it as uh, uh, like a further transgression, right? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, so so we have misunderstanding from the beginning, and it then comes around. So Fano refuses to come, and then Aonwe is like, "No, you, you have to come." And Fano's, you know, Fano's response is like, "Oh, so I see. You know, now we see the violence inherent in the system, right?" Um, so, you know, th- that I think is 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 Fano's response, which just frustrates Aonwe, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think Marie is disturbed by my Monty Python reference there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, at Marie, you don't think help, help, I'm being oppressed is like the attitude we should give to Feanor in this episode? Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe not. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, being repressed. Yes, sorry, Brian, that, that is what I meant to say. Uh, yeah, no, of course, we don't actually say that, Marie, but, uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, though, actually, you know, there's a certain parallel, isn't there? Uh, I mean, I was completely joking about that. And yet, that moment in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, right, with the totally different at insistently different ways in which King Arthur and Dennis the peasant uh, are, are are looking at the situation is is it's actually it's not wholly unlike the situation that we're describing actually, um, you know where uh, where both of them just sort of are like the, the 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 sort of the higher perspective right King Arthur's perspective he's just sort of puzzled and then frustrated uh by the <laughs> the attitude um and 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 Dennis like Dennis the peasant has a has a framework right in which he's going to fit and everything that happens no matter what uh and he won't he won't step outside that right yeah i i it's good it works now now marie i know i know i i totally agree i'm not actually wanting to draw the parallel fanor needs to come across totally different from uh from 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 uh dennis but nevertheless it it is it is uh uh there's there you have to admit right there's a similarity there um it really it really is um <laughs> uh 
Yeah. No, there's actually totally a paper there, but never mind. Never mind. Um, I... <laughs> exactly, Marie, the conflicting views of authority, right? That's exactly the, you know, both of them have different ideas about, you know, so here's, here's, uh, you know, here's, here's, um, you know, the Valar believing that there's this, you know, divinely ordained order in the world. And here's Fanor like setting up a narcos, <laughs> an anarchos, an anarcho syndicalist commune, which word I always have a hard time saying. Um, exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. 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 Okay. So Marie, I, I know as it, I, 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 Marie loves the Fanorians and this is, this whole conversation is paining her too much. I, 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 I get it. I, I'm sorry, Marie. My apologies. I, I'll try to be more serious. Um, but it totally works. Doesn't it? <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> um, I, See, this is the problem, Marie, when I come up with spontaneous ideas that then really take my fancy. I have, I have a very hard time, like, shaking myself away from them. I, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to pursue it. Never mind. I'm done. Um, does Aonwe threaten violence? Okay, wait. Here's another question. If we have this be a generous invitation, a generous and kind uh, on on the part of the Valar invitation to Feanor, um, which he then, you know, stonewalls because he's seeing it from his already rigid point of view um, and, it's, and fitting it within his rigid uh, uh, conception of the Valar as, uh, as his oppressors. Um, does Aonwe act on his own? I mean, do Aonwe's instructions include if he refuses to come, haul him in? Or does he have to do that spontaneously? Like, does, does he, having delivered his invitation, does he, like, basically arrest Feanor spontaneously? Do they have that discussion? Do they have to, do they have to say at the beginning, do the Valar say from the beginning, like, and if he doesn't come, make him come? Right. Because, I mean, it is included. Right? I, I mean, say, the text, it says he I, alone was commanded to attend. I would right. say I would say, well, that's a good point. I, I, I would say that maybe turn it turn it around and have Anway ask, what should I do if he refuses to come and right. just have Anway say he won't? You know, so so it's implied, but never stated. Better take Bruno with you, just in case. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I'm not going to make a new character called Bruno. <laughs> Bob Boy is enough. Yeah, okay, that's right. yeah. Um, yeah, Karita. <laughs> yeah, Karita says Aonwe is so big and triangular. And Karita, I know exactly what you mean when you call Aonwe triangular. Um, when Feanor says no, all he has to do is say, uh, yes, you are, and it looks like an arrest. Um, yes, yes. Um, cause see, that would be really fun. That, that would be, wouldn't it be fun? Oh yeah. What if it's just misunderstood, right? What if what Ayanwe says is you must come and Feanor 
treats it like he's under arrest, right? He all, he, he, he does like his like teenager, I'm coming under protest attitude, right? Um, yeah. Not exactly like a teenager. Again, I want to pain Marie anymore. But because um, uh, we don't want to make Feanor simply look sulky. But um, but that kind of that that kind of attitude. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, well, it doesn't have to be a teenager. I mean, there there are I mean, that is like a. Like bully, for example, you know, right. has that kind of like when you call them on it, they get all like, no, you know. Right. I mean, it's not even right. Major. Right, Maria. Exactly, an implied threat that may or may not have been intentional. That that does seem like exactly the go. tone to, yeah. to sort of, um, I, uh, you know, yeah, because he 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 can say very positive things like you will come to to Valmar, right. Um, which can sound very much like a threat, especially coming from somebody as triangular as Ayanwe, as, as Karita says. Um, and yet, uh, it's um, uh, it, it, he doesn't have to in, intend it as a threat. He, he doesn't have to be like cracking his knuckles while he says it, right? I mean, it's 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 he can simply mean it's like you know, Manwe has spoken, right? That's what's going to happen, right? I mean, it's a given. That's what you will do. Um, uh, yeah, because Ayanwe maybe that. doesn't fully process it. Um, what's Nerdanel's point of view? First of all, I do not see her interceding in any way. No. I mean, I would see her as a mute witness yep. more than anything <laughs> with emotions going across her face. Nerdanel continues to look on disapprovingly. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if you get if the actress is is talented, you know, like, you know how Martin Freeman can exactly. show like a yeah. whole range of yeah. emotions yeah. on his face. That's kind of what we would want, I think. Yes, because the the thing is, thing we have to keep in mind, she is moving in the anti Feanor direction, right? We are working right. up to the to the to this to the breach between her and Feanor, and yet she's not going to be deaf to the implications. Right, I mean, there's no way that I mean, I would think that all of the Nolor present would kind of bristle a little bit when Ayanwe comes up and starts making his very positive declarations, um, and seems to be throwing his weight around, right? Um, so you know, I don't want it to be just totally, uh, totally Actually, one-sided. That's another, that could be another justification for the Nolor being in favor of leaving. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, uh, let's let's move on quick to Fingolfin. Um, in the meantime, Fingolfin has been ruling in Tyrion. Now, the, let me let me let me emphasize immediately the um, the the one of my favorite points that you guys made on the discussion boards, which I hadn't been thinking about at all, but is really important to remember, is the passage of time here. <clears throat> it's quite a while that Feanor is in Formanos and that Fingolfin is ruling in Tyrion. Um, it's more than a century of years of the sun. Um, it's, it's, it's like a decade in, in, in Valinorian years, um, in the, the, you know, the, the, the years of the trees, as they are called. But it's, um, it's not, uh, uh, it's, it's a long time. Um, yeah, exactly. It's 12 years, Murray, exactly. So that's a long time. Now, this brings up a general question. 
do we want to, you know, how do we handle that? Because, of course, a century of, you know, 100 years, you know, 120 years of the sun uh, to elves just is not that much as it just doesn't feel like 120 years to a human being, um, you know, to a human being that is several generations. Right. But obviously there's no such referent uh, for the elves or the Valar. Um, I mean, a 120 year old elf is still a child, right? Maybe, you know, that's actually something that we never even really know. Like how fast do elves mature? Um, would I mean we've joked about this with Arwen in the past, right? But I mean, like to what extent would you know would elves really be like, you know? Oh yes, she's only 150. That's such an awkward adolescent stage, you know. I mean, is that really how elves are, or or do they? I mean, do they do they you know f- physically and psychologically do they take a long time to grow up? I I don't I wouldn't think so really, but um, I. I think the other angle here is how this may not even be important, but what one thought that came to my mind is we are showing this story to a human audience. Yes. Um, Yes. So that's, you know, it's like, that's probably really the question is how do we convey this amount of time to a human audience? Um, As opposed to, you know, having the elves, it's like, like we said, to the elves, it might be a blink to Valar, certainly a blink of the eye. Right, uh, you know, to the elves probably not so much, but we're showing this to a human audience, so I think that's probably really the point, right? That we're wanting to show that, you know, this is not just like a couple of weeks or even a year. Right, right, this is yeah, and time. and I'm not sure how to do that, but right, and twelve years, even in Valinorian terms, is I mean, it's like an appreciable length of time, right? It's not, it's not, it's not the blink of an eye. Um. The bigger question really is to what extent do we try to capture the otherness of their relationship to time? And frankly, I don't think we can do it. I mean, I, I can't see possibly how we could do it. Um, I see no mechanism until we get human beings. Right? right. Once we actually get humans who are proceeding on a human time frame, then the difference between how elves handles time and how humans handle time, right? Like the discussion that Turgon and Hurin and Huor have, um, that can become a theme once human beings come onto the scene. But before they do, I don't see how we can really talk about that. Um, and yeah, I we were talking about this earlier before we came on the air. I was thinking maybe we can handle it in the frame, and we can't even do it in the frame. Yeah, no, I really don't think I don't. I really don't think we can. Um, but anyway, okay, so that's fine. Uh, so we don't worry about the but, but we do need to... So we don't have to think about it in terms of, like, a whole century passes. We're in the Valinorian framework, so it's like a decade, right? It's 12 years. Um, which is still, again, a significant amount of time that has passed. Well, that's the thing. We just want to show the Mississippi. We, we want to make sure somehow we show that it's a significant amount of time, right? I mean, somehow. Right, right. Um, Even 12 years is, you know, that's significant. Um, anyway, I mean, I don't know. The trees don't really do much. Like, they don't go deciduous on us or anything, right? So we can't do, like, a, you know, a accelerated frame of, <laughs> of clouds going over the sky and the trees moving <laughs> and painting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine the time lapse of some, a time lapse of, like of, like, a tree in Valinor? <laughs> right. <laughs> it just looks like a photograph. 
Right. And what exactly, you know, every... Like a photograph. <laughs> no, see, so what happens is, like, as we're having the debate of the Valar, right, as they're talking about things back and forth, we show the trees outside the window blooming and, and, and losing their leaves <laughs> and aging. And every time the camera shifts back and forth between pe- different people in the conversation, right, but... By the time the conversation ends, this sapling has grown up, you know, and swelled into this big, huge tree in the background, right? Yeah, exactly. It'd be perfect. <laughs> It'd be perfect. Um, anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, so anyway, but, but, but back to the chief point. The chief point about the passage of time is Fingolfin. Um, and I absolutely agree with the general sentiment on the discussion board that we show Fingolfin being, and I'm, and I, I apologize, I'm forgetting who it was who said this, but that basically Fingolfin's, the, the beginning of Fingolfin's uh, 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 journey to awesomeness uh, starts, has its first moment at his reaction to having the sword drawn on him, right? His refusal to take the bait. Um, and, you know, so his sort of dignified, uh, leaving the room without causing conflict or without rising to the conflict with Feanor is the first, like, glimmer of the awesomeness that will be of Fe- of Fingolfin. And that this is the time when he's ruling, when he really begins to settle in and show that he is a good leader. And the, 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 the leadership that he shows, the leadership and character that he shows, is at the reconciliation. When he comes forward and recognizes, like, he's not going to... He's not going to hold a grudge. Um, and again, I think that the, the crucial thing there, again, one of the trends that we have to show, one of, one of sort of the themes um, is that turning inwards, right? The, the, like how, how the fall works is, is turning towards self, right? And, 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 uh, and becoming obsessed with self. With Feanor, we see him do that unapolo- increasingly and unapologetically. Right, focusing more and more on himself and becoming more and more obsessed with his own desires and his own stuff um, and his own point of view and his own rights. Fingolfin moves in the opposite direction. And we see him... So when he relinquishes uh, uh, his, his... his, his, you know, when he says he remembers no grievance, you know, this is not just like, it's okay, you know, you screwed up, brother, but, you know, I'm not going to hold it against, not just I'm not going to hold it against you, right? Like, he is really genuinely, um, he is really genuinely stepping forward uh, and, and saying, my own ego is not what matters here, right? You know, peace among the Noldor and the peace of Valinor itself is more important um, than you know, this sort of fight between us. There can even be something like an acknowledgement, at least in his demeanor, if not in his words, an acknowledgement that he was partly in the wrong. I mean, I, I would not, I think it would be fine if Feanor's, if, the, if Fingolfin's reconciliation with Feanor had an element of, you know, I, I realize I was kind of a git and that I'm, imp- I'm partially responsible for what happened. I think, I think that we should really show him growing in wisdom here. Um, Brian asks, how does he learn that lesson to be able to apply it? Um, I think what makes Fingolfin growing up is being put... Because when with Finway and Feanor gone, he is the ruler. You know, I mean, it's like the kid brother being suddenly thrust into an adult role, essentially. 
and being put in that role and being put in the position where before he was in a place where he, he was basically guilty of thinking of himself. Right. He was worried about Fanor and he thought that Fanor was 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 doing wrong. But but he was annoyed at Fanor and he was annoying. Right. Um, now he's not. He's not thinking that way anymore. Um, now he's by the experience of ruling his people for 12 years um, has given him a wider perspective. And he now realizes what, you know, he now sort of thinks about what's, what's, what's more important. Marie wanted to be clear that he very much misses having Finway and Feanor there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he can miss them. Even Feanor, maybe, to some extent. Um, or at least acknowledges that this is bad. Like that, that, that schism is bad. Right. Um, you know, like even even though I didn't miss you personally, Feanor, right? It's frankly, it's been a little bit nice having you not be here. But you know, I recognize like this is not right. This is not good. I'm not saying he would say that, obviously, but um, but I, I think it might be a little bit much to be like, you know, now that Feanor is gone, I really kind of realize how nice it was having him around. I don't think it was very nice having him around for Fingolfin. I think Feanor was legitimately a jerk to him, um, but he can kind of rise above that. And it's the rising above that I think we start seeing. So, yeah. And Brian, I agree with you. I don't know that we need to, like, invest his dialogue, you know, Fingolfin's dialogue with a lot of this explicitly. But this is kind of I'm, 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 I'm just kind of trying to think through the attitude that he sort of has, you know, kind of uh, kind of backstage. Um, uh, yeah, Brian, I don't, I, don't, I don't. Yeah, I'm not saying I want to do all that with dialogue either. I'm just trying to kind of spell it out so we can know the perspective. Um, I mean, a lot of the dialogue in the text works really well. I mean, I, I want to keep his line, you know, um, you know, his his, you know, half brother. You are, you know, full brother. I will be, you know, where you lead. I will follow like, yeah, I mean, I, I that's the dialogue. Right. No question. Yep. Um, yep. We just have to you show what it means. Try and improve on that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There are some awesome lines in this chapter and we, we totally, we totally stick with them. Um, yeah. Hard to improve on get ye gone. Oh, you know, you jail crow of Mandos. It's hard to, it's hard to improve on, uh, you know, where you, you know, you shall lead and I will follow. Um, uh, you know, you absolutely, Mandos gets two of his best lines ever in episode 13. So, you know, it's going to be great. Um, um, no, Brian, exactly. We, we do have to do something to show his steps, to show how he, how he gets from one place to another. And I think that some of that can be done in, I think we're going to have to show a fan or a Fingolfin scene in Tyrion before the feast, before the celebrate, before the reconciliation. I, I, I think that Fingolfin, we can't have Fingolfin last appear on screen when Feanor draws his sword on him and then appear again two episodes later for the reconciliation. Um, anything that we do with Fingolfin's character is going to just look like a, a leap at that point if we do that. So I think we have to show an intermediate transitional Fingolfin scene, or Tyrion scene, rather, which includes Fingolfin, but it can include others as well. Because let's, let's think about this, for instance. Surely we need a meanwhile back in Tyrion scene, Right, we talked about some of this stuff last time. What, who else do we need to be showing? Who else should be involved with Vingolfin? 
some of his kids, right? Yep. Yep. What, um, I kind of wonder, are some of the more reasonable sons of Feanor sort of involved in any of this? Or do they all, are they all aligned with, with Well, they're Feanor, all in Formanos. Do they, do they ever come back? Especially, of course, the Mithros and Fingon question is the, is the, um, yeah. the big question. Um, I think Nerdanel doesn't come back. I think she stays with Feanor at, at Formanos, and Finway doesn't. Yeah. So Finway, Nerdanel, and Feanor remain there. His sons could come back and forth. Oh, and by the way, I also acknowledge the issue that I hadn't uh, thought about e- either at all. Um, Celebrimbor. This might seem like, why the heck does it matter if we bring up Celebrimbor now, who is like a deeply future concern at this point? Um, but people were pointing out on the discussion board that if we don't bring in Celebrimbor sooner rather than later, he's never going to meet Feanor, right? And it might be kind of cool to have Celebrimbor, the great smith, uh, actually, you know, learning from Grandpa. Uh and I, I, I so uh, uh, so I think Marie, you, I think you were suggesting that we show Celebrimbor, like a you know like toddler Celebrimbor at uh, uh, at at Formanos. Um, that seems like that would work. Um, Is there anybody else like that that we've we've introduced that we need to make sure um, we don't just abandon at this point? I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. You know what's a character? You know, okay. So in the category of super important characters, who in Tolkien's writings are almost a completely blank slate, that we will get the fun of filling, <laughs> Gilgoad, for crying out loud. Ooh. Um, because Gilgoad, and this, of course, because Gilgoad wasn't a thing. Gilgoad wasn't even invented when Tolkien wrote all these legends the first time around. Gilgoad was a yeah. later invention. He was derived from the War of the Last Alliance, um, and not even at not even the first time that he came to the War of the Last Alliance. Gilgoad was a character he eventually came to in formulating the Last Alliance, and then backwrote a little bit into the Silmarillion materials. But he never really got naturalized within the Silmarillion world, and the whole sort of you know, cultural, political, and interpersonal world of the Noldor in Valinor and Middle-earth. Um, so we have, uh, uh, we have, yeah, exactly. Marie says, for instance, whose kid is he? Right, exactly. I mean, this, it's, I mean, I, I think we, uh, yeah, as Tony was just pointing that out too. We're going to have to decide soon who Sonny is. I, I, I say we go with the published Silmarillion here and make him Fingon's son. I think that would be fine. I think that, that would be cool. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, Maria, I'm, I'm open to debate on that subject. If somebody wants to make a, a, a contrary argument, I think that that would work fine. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, no, he's, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a complete mystery, but I don't think we need to worry about him yet. I don't think he's one that we have to introduce in Valinor because really the only, the only question is. Are there any character? You know, which characters do we want to introduce in Valinor? Right to have them. You know, is, is is there some reason why they need to have a pre-exile existence, right, and not be born in Middle Earth? Um, and then, secondly, are there um, are there are, you know sort of characters that have you know is, is there something they need to do? So, like with 
Celebrimbor, it's his, you know, sort of craftsmanship. If we want his 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 subcreative work to be more than simply genetics, um, and be, you know, have some inspire, you know, have some sort of direct instruction from Fanor himself, um, we need to we need to introduce him now. Um, okay, Marie says Idril and Celebrimbor are really the only two that we need. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, Tony, I don't think we want to introduce a whole dubious paternity subplot for Gilgalad. I, I really don't think we, 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 we actually want to go there. Um, yeah, yeah, no, we, we should just make up our own minds. Um, so Idril Marie, yeah, and of course, uh, just to explain that we need to have Idril because of course, Tuor's wife, uh, dies. So we, 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 we have to have, if, if, uh, if Tuor's wife is going to die on the crossing of the Helcaraxa, we have to have Idril first, right? Or else we're not going to get, uh, we're going to have a hard time producing Arendel if, uh, if, uh, if, if Idril's not born in Valinor. So, yep. Yep. Um, I, Tony asks, would Gilgalad be born in Valinor, Middle Earth? Tony, why don't we make him born in Valinor? Because, um, why, why don't we make him born in Valinor? Because I would want him to be among like the 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 foremost in his generation, right? Of the of the of the fourth generation, Noldor. Um, he needs to have a a prominence among them, so I think we would want to introduce him. So maybe we have this. Uh, so we need three Noldorian babes in arms, right? We need little Kettlebrimbor, we need little Idril, and we need little Gilgalad. That would work. You know, if Fingon is a dad, that makes a bunch of things more poignant, doesn't it? This gives us the opportunity to have, like, you know, Mythros dandling little Gilgalad on his knee, which would be cute, Right? Uh, this would allow us to have uh, uh, a moment where uh, to have a a Fingon and Gilgalad moment, right? When Dad sets off to do the uh, to go rescue Mithros, right? Yeah, um, yeah, Marie. I know Oradreth is also a question, but I'm not worried about Oradreth. Uh, I'm I'm willing to 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 go in the later Tolkien's later thought as to, as 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 Oradreth, uh Ordreth loses stature continuously as like the further Tolkien got in his revisions of the Silmarillion material, the less of a big deal Ordreth became. He just got get smaller and smaller and smaller as time goes by. Um, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay actually, uh, having, having him, uh, uh, having Ordreth not really be a big deal. I don't, I don't, I don't think we need him. I don't think we need him. Um, Especially since basically Oradreth's primary role is going to be to play second fiddle to tour, not even second fiddle. He's like, uh, he's he, he's he's not second fiddle to to Turin. He's more like, I don't know, uh, an observer. Anyway, never mind. Um, I'm not going to get bogged down with Gogolad right now. Totally doesn't matter. Let's think about Google Ad later. Um, <laughs> at the feast, at the reconciliation, 
because we have one more big thing to talk about after this. It shouldn't take us too long, but one more thing to talk about, important thing after this. At the feast, so we've talked a little bit about Fingolfin's attitude. Feanor's, what should be Feanor's attitude towards Fingolfin? Sort of passive aggressive. I, I'm thinking haughty, right? Mm-hmm. Should he perceive? Should he perceive Fingolfin's sort of capitulation, right? Uh, Fingolfin's genuine desire for reconciliation as weakness. Should he kind of, de- I was just you know, say that. Fingolfin is is submitting to him, but 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 Feanor thinks he's kind of a wuss for doing so. Yeah. And yes, as Marie says, he he's not going to apologize. Yeah, no, yeah. he's not, and he's going to think Fingolfin's weak for um, for you know for seeking what common ground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mary Ellen and Tony both are arguing that he should sort of melt a little bit, you know, that he should uh, be temporarily sort of momentarily mollified and pleased. It's true. We don't want to even now I don't want to make fan. I mean, at the beginning, I was resisting making fan or two one dimensional. Right? I just didn't, didn't want to make him just a bad seed from day one. Um, even now, I do want to make sure we don't lose him. Completely, I want people to be able to get because remember, the big thing still coming up. Feanor has got to talk all of the Noldor into going off into banishment, right? And so we have to make sure that he is. We can get him enough. Everybody can still kind of feel Feanor enough, so that again we don't make all the Noldor look like idiots. Um, well, that's actually a good point. I mean, would Feanor be seeing Fingolfin's uh, behavior as a victory? for himself, in which case he would be more like magnanimous and you know, sort of maybe with an undercurrent of gloat, but more magnanimous and, I mean, I was thinking maybe clenched teeth, clenched teeth diplomacy, as many foreign people, you know, foreign relations right. people have to, you know, uh, conduct, but you're right, I mean, the point about him needing to still uh, uh, influence the Noldor, I-, I would think that his attitude of like, you know, a victory for my side, or victory for me, would be you know, we would see that, but he would probably comport himself in a way that, you know, would be not remarkable to the Noldor in terms of negative right. perception. Right. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. If we have him be more positive towards Fingolfin, that accomplishes a couple things, right? On the one hand, it makes his betrayal of Fingolfin at the burning of the ships more shocking, because that should be completely shocking, right? Um, we shouldn't see that, like, the the foretaste of the burning of the ships written clearly on his face from this incident forward, right? Um, it should be a shocking betrayal. And then... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yes, it, there should be a kind of um, a sense of yeah, see, here again we have the difference in perspective, right? From the Valar's point of view as they're seeing this happen, the Valar are seeing this and saying, oh good, it's working, right? Peace is being restored in Valinor. But from Feanor's point of view, what he's seeing is we Noldor are closing ranks, right? Um, 
I'm I'm glad to see that all of the Noldor are in solidarity, and my brother will stand with me against our like mutual enemies. Um, and the Valar don't really suspect that that's what he's uh, um, that's what he's thinking. Um, yeah, Marielle says. Uh, um, while Fanor has been ordered to be here, he's won the war on the Noldo front. Dad sided with him. Fingolfin is submitted. Everyone's happy to see him, right? Yes, yes. Um, that um, that all that all makes sense. Okay. Other first of all, is is does does now come? Finway doesn't come. Fin- we know Finway doesn't come. That's super important. Um, Finway refuses to come. Nerdano, does she come? Yeah, Nick, I'm inclined to agree that Nerdanel should come. Um, because why would she refuse, right? If she if she refuses to come, is she like neither her standing against the Valar nor her separating herself from Fanor yet makes much sense. Um. Okay, so she's there. How does she react? She would be glad of the reconciliation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Nick says uh, she wouldn't want Fanor interacting with the public without her, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. She, she would, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Let's not let my husband make public statements in my absence, please. Yes, uh, exactly. Um yeah, she should be the one of the. Th- if you think of Fingolf and Fanor and Nerdin now, she should be the one of the three who gets the the Valar perspective best. I would think. Anyone else we want to have there? Whose reaction would seem to be important? Galadriel. Galadriel? I was just going to say it. I Galadriel. Do we get a Fingon Mithros moment? Are they reunited here? Do we see them... Do, do they, now, we talked about maybe Fingon going and visiting Mithros at Formanos. Um, Each other the bro hug. Yeah, exactly. Um, How about uh, Arathel, or, I mean, Turgon, Arathel... Uh, Ooh, Finarfin. Yeah, Tony and yeah, Hakon both say, say Finarfin. Yeah, we should have Finarfin. Oh, we keep forgetting about Finarfin, probably because <laughs> not surprising. He's a bit of a cipher. <laughs> it was, I mean, through this point, I mean, Finarfin literally does nothing except go along with other people until the time when he turns back. Like that's his big moment, right? Um, but I mean, even in the text, he's scarcely mentioned uh, before that moment. Um, um, oh yes, Mariel, you're correct to remind us. Huon must be present, right? We we need to get our editorial commentary from Huon, you know, in the scene. So, um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, oh, and Mariel is pushing uh, for us for a for a moment between Idril and Huon uh, 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 as as a cue for interpretation with the audience, and that would also be adorable. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
No, see, Marie, I, we can't have Huan at Formanos. Huan can't be still back at Formanos because, uh, because then we would have to have Huan like failing to defend the household, right? Like, and I, I can't work. I can't work. Huan's got to be absent. Besides, you know, we need we need Huan unless we're going to have Huan looking disapprovingly at Finway for not coming. Um, now again, we can have a Huan. I know Huan can't take on Ungoliant, right? But that's the problem. Like we we can't have him take on Ungoliant, but we can't have him like run away, right? What do, what do we do? We could we still of course have the opportunity to have Huan uh, giving judicious commentary uh, with his expressions and tail waggings during the Aonway Feanor confrontation. Um, I, uh, yeah. I think we're going to need an animatronic Huan. <laughs> yeah. See, Marielle, that's exactly my point. A hound like Huan would have died trying. That is precisely my, like, if, if you feel like, if, if he's stuck in his crate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of all the days to crate Huan. <laughs> oh man. The boy, would they regret that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is actually true. If he's around, if he's around, he'd have died, months. right? Yeah. You'd think. Yeah. I don't think we need to. I don't think we we need to make the sons of Feanor all stay at Formanos. I think they could come. I don't see any reason why they couldn't come. Um, I mean, Finway has one, to actually. remain. One point about Huon. I mean, he's one of a pack, right? Yes. So it's like. I don't know that they would bring their hounds to a, you know, a pack of hounds to a, a, an event like this. I mean, it's just, I mean, I don't think we need to have, I mean, I, as much as as cute as it would be, I just don't think. You don't think they'd bring their dogs to a feast I, like this? Would Orme bring his pack of hounds to a feast? I, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I suppose not. <laughs> I just, you know, I mean, I'm trying to figure out a way to, like, you know, have him not really be there because you're right about Ungoliant. I mean, Trish, everyone is shocked that you're the one objecting to this. (laughs) You of all people. Well, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like animals should be everywhere. A person, you know, I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that's And I'm thinking in terms of sort of the hunting culture, you know, I mean. I mean, even, you know, I mean, at least human hunting culture, many times the, the hunting dogs aren't even allowed indoors, let alone, you know, at, at feast. Right. So well, I, I but see, but I mean, that's because they're they're all, you know, trained to be savage and everything. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, right, right. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know. So, and, and but the thing is, like, you know, I suppose if Huan's there, then the whole pack would be there, which even more says if something happened with Ungoliant, the whole pack would go after her. Yeah. So, because he's yeah. not necessarily, I mean, I think he's a leader of the pack, but he's not really called out at this point as being sort of like above and beyond all the other dogs. One presumes all the hounds that Orme runs have the capacity. That Huan Th- there's a there's a strong sentiment uh, among the attendees that that the Valar would totally have their hounds <laughs> at the feast. Like it's not even a question. Um, yeah. Well, it'd be Orme with his hounds, really. Yeah, cause, absolutely. I mean, you know. Um. Yeah. Yep. No, I think the people have spoken on this point. Um, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Right, especially as exactly, especially if they're Einor. Yeah, Tony says good. What if, what if he's running loose in the fields? Because it's true. I mean, he might you know be off like chasing um, Myar rabbits or something, and he smells Ungolian and arrives too late. <laughs> you know, it's like gosh, I wish I hadn't picked rabbit as my form. <laughs> <laughs> that was a tactical error on my part. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> Yeah. Well, of course, it's when I say we need to give Huan a cameo, I don't mean we need to make Hu, uh, Huan the protagonist of this episode necessarily, right, right, of right. course. But, um, you know, just thinking through details here. Um, That's right. Okay. Well, let's go to Ungoliant since we've already mentioned that. That's, of course, the last thing that we need to, uh, that we need to, to, to talk about here and then we need to wrap up. Um, We've talked about the, in this episode doing not only the reveal of the actual point of view of the Valar, but doing the reveal of the actual point of view of Melkor as well. Um, and there are a couple different schools of thought about how much of this we should do. Um, we need to have Mel- so Melkor needs to go to Ungoliant. In the text, we're told that he has to convince Ungoliant. Remember, she is loath to do this. He's like, "Hey, want to come with me and raid v- and raid you know Valmar and destroy the trees?" And and um, a paraphrase of Ungoliant's response is like, "Are you freaking crazy? I'm not going into Valmar. Like that is that is nuts. Like they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna skin us and eat us if we go into in, if we go into Valmar. She's terrified." to go into Valinor. And so that's why he has to promise her the promise that he makes, like the, the with both hands, shall I give it promise that he makes to, uh, uh, to Ungoliant. He makes in order to induce her to come along with his crazy plan in the first place. Okay. So there is, there is a conversation right between them and she is shows, she shows reluctance. Um, now, uh, so I get a couple schools of thought here. We've got the darkening of Valinor. So first of all, Ungolian's spider form. Um, uh, Marielle, I, I am sympathetic to your, your, your sort of struggles with this as you were raising this. Uh, Marielle raised the important question, especially in light of the, the scene that we gave to Ungolian back in season one with Nessa. The question is, A, do we show Ungolian in human form and B, if so, is she sexy? And therefore, C, uh, d- um, Ungoliant, Melkor, sexual tension involved there? How do we play that? There seemed to be, the response to that on the discussion board seemed to be primarily in favor of just not going there at all and keeping her in spider form almost the entire time. Um, I generally approve of that, but at the same time, I don't want to... I think the spider form thing has to be... I'm trying to articulate my reaction. I have a response to this. I'm having a hard time articulating. We don't want to overdo it. We don't want to overexpose the spider. Um... Ungoliant as giant spider should be absolutely terrifying. I mean, it should be one of the most horrifying images in the entire Silmarillion. Not like a hokey computer animated thing that's just on screen talking in a normal voice. Exactly. Having, that's my chit chat. <laughs> exactly. If Melkor is sitting there having tea with a giant spider, we've lost it. Right. You know, 
So, in fact, I feel like almost any back and forth conversation that he has with Ungoliant, she should not be in spider form, or at least, and there is the potential compromise that somebody suggested that we that we have her like in the shadows, so that we're not actually seeing a voice emanating from her spider form. Um, but uh, yeah, no. So, Hakan, when I talk about the reveal, I don't mean that it's a secret because you know, we did show her as a spider in season one. I'm not. It's not that I that I think we need to conceal it. I just mean we can't. We can't show it too early. I mean, if her spider form should be her attack form, right? When she is, when she's going to eat something, she takes the form of a spider. But when she's just interacting with somebody, like she interacts with, with Melkor, um, especially at the beginning, she should be in human form. Now, the later conversation they have, and this, of course, is a conversation for next time, you know, the no, really, why don't you give me the Silmarils to eat conversation, the thieves' quarrel between Melkor and Ungoliant, that maybe could happen in spider form. I don't know. We'll have to talk about that next time. But this is why I'm thinking, um, here's my idea. What if he finds Ungoliant and he finds her shrunken? I would like, I'm thinking a starving, emaciated looking Ungoliant. Okay. She is famished and weak. Um, because she's been, because she's been, she's, you know, like the, all the light and the glory. She's there on the outskirts, right? So she's like, Ungoliant is there, uh, you know, like with her face and hands pressed up against the glass, looking through the window at all of the, the delicious light that she can't eat. Uh, and the, the stuff that she's not a part of and can't touch, and she really wants it, but she can't get it, and so she is famished. Um, so she is really drawn. She is she loves Melkor's idea, um, but she's terrified actually to implement it. Um, and 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 here's the other thing that I like about this: we have. Ungoliant looking totally like the junior partner in this, right? Melkor's going to use her, and he's big, and he's strong, and he's he's in his transitional, arrogant, um, strong, but kind of angry tyrant uh, uh, form that he morphs into at the end of at the end of uh, episode eleven. Um, he's in command. He is strong. She's weak. She's uh, she's shrunken. Uh, maybe even shorter. I don't know. Um, but anyway, she's 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 weak. She's going to swell to enormity, and 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 this you know she's going to be on the other foot in their confrontation later on when she's going to hold Melkor at her mercy um, uh, after the darkening. So, uh, um, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so. So I like the idea that at the beginning it looks like he's just kind of he's bringing her in right as a, as like a mercenary essentially um, because she can do a thing that he, that is really useful right she is the tool for the job he wants to destroy the trees and he know that she can he knows that she can do it he he should say this so we spell this out or else the viewers aren't going to understand why does he need the help of this shriveled emaciated thing right. And he needs, so he needs to show, like, you are the one who can destroy the trees. Um, but I think, I, I think we do have her in human form, but Marielle, I think we avoid the whole, the whole sexy thing by the fact she's just, she's just not sexy. She, uh, she's emaciated and, and, and she, she has neither the inclination nor the, I mean, that's not where she is, right? Um, 
So I don't think we have sexy ungoliant at any point through either of these two episodes. We have starving, desperate, and but fearful ungoliant in episode twelve, and then we have her transform. So I think the transformed the transformation to spider form should happen as she and Melkor are looking down over Valmar. And Marie, I completely agree. The 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 visual scene I have always pictured as the culmination of episode twelve is. Um, the feast going on down in the valley, Melkor and Ungoliant standing on the mountain peak, looking down over the beautiful, and we see the beautiful lit with the trees glowing radiantly in the midst of the city for the last time. Right, we we have this one last view of the incredible beauty uh, of of Valinor in its noontide, and then we pan back to Melkor and to uh, to Ungoliant, and. Melkor laughs and starts, you know, and starts leaping down the hill with Ungoliant. And maybe at that point, maybe we show Ungoliant trans. She dramatically transforms into a spider at that moment, and she comes down after him in giant spider form. And so the final image that we get at the end of episode twelve is uh, is Melkor spear in hand, um, charging down the hill, you know, uh, leaping down the hill with the. Uh, terrifying giant spider form behind him. Though she shouldn't be giant yet. When I say giant spider, I only mean compared to normal spiders. I think that Ungoliant pre-trees should be big but not huge. Like She she should be like waist high on Melkor, maybe. So she's big, but not enormous yet. Because she's going to be she's going to be huge. She's going to swell to, to immensity after she eats the trees. Um... What do you guys think? Do you agree with uh, my spider analysis there? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I agree. Um, I agree that we don't want the terrifying spider on screen. And that actually, like, yeah, I kind of like, I, I, you know, end of episode cliffhanger reveals are kind of a gimmick on yeah. television. But uh, part of the reason that they're a gimmick is they're, they work. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're effective, I mean? like, yeah. <laughs> They're actually pretty successful. I think something like this, I think this is a good place to use this, where instead of like, you know, instead of sort of a scene kind of like Harry Potter, where there's this slow reveal and the giant, not very scary looking spider comes out and they have a conversation with them and like, you know. Right. right? Like, instead, I like this idea of, of, of showing, um, of you know, the first time that Ungoliant's on screen here, uh, she is not terrifying and, and also, and also not, not um, stereotypically attractive either. I like that idea as well. Yeah. And then see in the episode where they're on their way, where after um, Melkor has convinced her and they're on their way to attack the trees, that that's when like the big reveal of the terrifying spider comes. And then it, I think it'll have a much, much greater impact then. Yeah. <clears throat> that sense of, I mean, cause we yeah. want to leave this episode with the sense of dread, right? The dread of what's yeah. going to happen. Um, maybe we don't even say what it is. Maybe we don't even say explicitly that he's going after the trees. Maybe he, he, he says that only she can do it, but we leave it vague, right? You know, like, I want to mm-hmm. strike a blow against the vow, and only you, you know, are capable of, 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 of doing this, but we don't know what it is yet. Um, all you hear is a bunch of clicks and clacks. <laughs> right, well, no, I mean, I, she's still, screen. she's still human. And so she can talk to him because oh, we thought, need dialogue from her. I thought she her. turned into a spider after, uh, Tolkis did it. 
Uh, oh, oh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, again, yeah, yeah, no, of course, of course. Again, oh, it's not a secret that she's a, that, that she's a, that she's a spider. We just don't right, want right. to show her as a spider in episode right. twelve too soon, or else we do get the whole conversation with Aragog effect, um, yeah. which certainly makes will will make it less less terrifying. So no, we show her in human. Oh, but form. I, what I thought you were saying is we don't even see her on screen. That he's talking. Well, like, I was saying that's one option. That's one option yeah. of, of of how to that's handle that. But I but but I don't like. I actually. Yeah, because I want to convey the fact that she is famished and shrunken, and we're not going to be able to see that. If she is a spider in spider form, she could say, like, I am famished, but that's not that effective. I think it would be much more if she is, because we will recognize her, right? We'll recognize yeah, her from yeah. season one, well, but she'll look very different. We'll recognize her. We'll recognize her. Will the audience recognize her? They'll remember who she is? Do yeah. We have faith in our audience? Well, she can wear this. Okay. She can be wearing the same outfit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's fine. <laughs> I can't imagine Ungoliant carries a lot of wardrobe changes around with her, right? You know, I mean, it's... I don't know, but I'm not sure. I don't think it's, and I don't think it's absolutely necessary that she be immediately visually recognizable either. <coughs> like, it'll, sorry, uh, during their conversation will become pretty obvious who she is. And that, that can be kind of part of the, the, sort of the interesting reveal here that um, we saw her previously and she was at full strength and terrifying and then then she shows up on screen maybe um, here maybe the viewers don't even initially realize who it is and it's kind of shocking like you know what poor um, what poor shape she's in right um, and then and you know and even leave the audience wondering like what on earth is she going to actually be able to contribute here? exactly and then and then we're surprised at the end that, like, nope, spider's back. Spider's back, exactly. And the, but but we still don't know what they're doing, right? So we see we see them right. coming down, and we see the giant spider. And so we we, we have this sort of dread, like, oh, something terrible is going to happen, but we don't know what it is. Like, is he planning some kind of wacky assassination attempt? Is he t- is he going to take a hostage? Like, what's he doing? The, 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 um, and to, to people who haven't read the Silmarillion, the idea, I'm going to attack the trees, and she's going to drain all the life out of the trees. It's not exactly intuitive, right? Well, Mar- something Marielle said makes me think, should he name drop Nessa? It's kind of a red herring there. Right. A little. Right. Especially, yeah, since we, we, we did see her involved in a hostage situation before. Right. right? So we could, the, the audience would, the would audience think, yeah, that's, that's what they're... Is like a yeah. hostage or, you know, to get back to Tolkos or, you know, I mean, you know, there could be like a red herring motive that the audience is assuming. Yeah. If yeah. he name drops Nessa. And it could be something he adds to sort of the whole idea to, you know, to enroll Ungoliant, I suppose. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, I, I guess I'd have to see sort of how the dialogue went before I could really judge that. Idea. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not opposed to the idea in principle. Um, I mean, of course, it, it could be really hokey, but it could not. So I, I'd have to, I'd have to see sort of how that, how that, how that went. Um and Tony, I think we'd need to show his spear because he's gonna he's gonna smite the the trees, the bowl of the trees with a spear. I think he needs to have his spear as they're going towards. He can have gotten it from somewhere. He doesn't have to have it like when he shows up to Formanos, for instance. Um, 
we can show him armed and carrying a spear when he goes to Ungoliant. Carried on his back or something. Right. I, I have a quick question. I know we need to wind this up, but yeah. I, I think I'm missing something here. So is Ungoliant at this point a shapeshifter? Does, yes. Does she go back and forth from Spider? Oh yeah. Oh okay. She can. Because I was thinking she had turned permanently into a spider back then. No, I don't think back. she. I don't, I don't think she has to be permanent. Um, okay. I mean, in fact, it's never even. It's now, never. Turning, once the tree thing happens, at some point she's going to turn permanently into a spider, much like Melkor is turning into Mel Morgoth, right? Yeah, I think we can do that. I think we can do that as to sort of show her desire kind of eating her up. Um, uh, I mean, of course, this is sort of in theory Ungoliant's last appearance, unless. Um, some yeah, after she has children, her form should be fixed. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, she's, I think she's going to have to. Somehow she'll have to come back. You know, I mean, I don't know how we're going to do this, but, you know, when we meet Shalab in. 15 years, she, you know, yeah. we're going to want to hark it back to a so I'm not sure. We are. Well, but of course, here's the other thing, though. And someone brought this up on the discussion boards, and it's a great question. Uh, in the earlier versions of the story, the greatest of all of the deeds, uh, uh, like sort of adventurous deeds of Arendel, is that he kills on Goliant. I'd kind of like to bring that back. Oh, let's bring that back. Yeah. Yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. Um, I don't know if we need to go as far as bringing back Ungoliant, like snaring the sun and moon, uh, or you know, like uh, uh, attempting to eat the sun. But uh, but but Arendo killing Ungoliant. Because see, the thing is, on principle, thematically, I love the fate of Ungoliant in the published Silmarillion. You know that at last, in her uttermost famine, uh, uh, you know she 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 ate up herself. I love that thematically. It's 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 wonderful. But that doesn't work well on screen. There's no, there's absolutely no way to show that on screen without it looking comical. Um, so, I mean, I like it. I, I like it. But, yeah. Um, see, Brian, I think we're going to have to choose one myth instead of another. Um, uh, yeah. Brian, to try to convince you about the A. Arendel thing, I want to, I want to, I want uh, uh, to read you a poem, but not today. Um, we've got we've got more time for it. Um, <laughs> Brianna says maybe Arendel tricks her into eating herself. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so you have another audience waiting for you, sir. I do. Yes. Well, almost. Not quite. I still got nine minutes. Um, let's <laughs> wrap up then with. Uh, Questions for next time. So next episode is the final episode of the season. So the big question, where do we end? I'm assuming we have to get through all the business. That is to say, we need to accomplish um, the darkening of Valinor, the escape of Ungoliant, the theft of the Silmarils, the quarrel between uh, Ungoliant and Melkor, the news about the, the the robbing of the, you know, the decision of Feanor not to unlock the Silmarils, the news of both Finway's death and the dis- and the theft of the Silmarils coming. Uh, to, like, all that stuff has to happen in the next episode. So what do we end with? What is the final? What is the what is the the, the final moment? Where do we? Where do we bring the show at the end? What do we want to land? What, what do we want to land on at the end? Um, if we end it, you know, if, if we get through all that stuff in the next episode, that enables us to begin season three with Feanor's speech in Tyrion to depart. Right, the 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 speech by Torchlight um, in episode one of season three, which I think works real well as the start of that season. Okay. So, but again, where do we where do we culminate the episode? Um, secondly, how do, how much of 
how much of the Valar's perspective do we show in this episode? Um, and how much do we... So I, I'm going to actually lump these into one question. How do we handle point of view in episode 13? How much do we show from the Valar's point of view? How much do we show from the Noldor point of view? And how do we manage that? Having maintained a Noldor, a, a, a Nolorin point of view for the first 11 episodes of the season, and then in episode 12 showed behind-the-scenes stuff that we hadn't seen ever before in season two. Behind the scenes with the Valar, behind the scenes with Melkor and his insidious plot. Um, now, where do we return in the final episode? How do we handle that point of view? And um, how much of Feanor do we show? And, and, and in part, this is where do we bring Feanor's character? Um, in the book, the darkening happens. All the Valar are like, okay, so, um, hey, uh, Feanor, want to give us the Silmarils so we can make the trees grow again? And Feanor's like, nah, I'm good. And then <laughs> they come and they say, oh, by the way, the, the Silmarils got stolen. And he gets really upset and he leaves. And that's the last we see of Feanor until he comes back and makes his speech and swears his vow and does his season three stuff, right? That's obviously a rather... The last scene saying, welcome home, master. <laughs> right, that, that's an option. That's an option. Um, so with... I feel like we need to give Feanor more stuff here, right? Like him, him like running off when he hears his dad dies doesn't kind of seem like enough. I mean, we can't just have him depart. We need more, right? So what do we show with Feanor? We have to bring Feanor to the point where we're ready for him to come out and make his speech and swear his oath at the beginning of season three. Um, what do we show? How do we do this with Feanor? I, I, I feel like there has to be some more conversation, action, something with Feanor in this episode. Um, what do we do and how do we do it? Um, so what's I get in fact everybody has lots of ideas getting ideas okay good discussion boards people put it up on the discussion discussion boards yeah yeah (laughs) Um, so so those are my questions Uh, uh, what all do we include and where do we end What, what do we choose as the culminating moment of the episode how do we handle point of view in this episode and, uh, and, you know, and all of these complicated point of view issues that we've been discussing all season long. And then three, how do we make sure we get Feanor's character to the place where it needs to be at the end of this episode so that we're ready for season three? Because remember, season three is like the Feanor story. So. Um, Corey. Yeah. Quick question. Yes. Where, uh, uh, where did Melkor get his spear? I, I, he he must have forged it, right? I mean, maybe this is one. Of, maybe we show him forging what if his. What he got spear. it from Fanor? Maybe he made it with Fanor. Maybe because uh, remember what if, we, he uses we, a, what if he uses a Fanorian spear to kill Fanor's father? Ooh. We had <laughs> talked about having him involved in projects before, about him doing some Smithcraft with them, right? Um, maybe we show him forging the spear earlier on. Maybe now, he and Nerdinel are working on that him? together. Does he need it before he kills Fenway? 
Or, I mean, oh, he doesn't need it. And as Marie points because out, I'm he's thinking been gone it could be for 12 up on the years. Wall in, inside Formanos, you know, he could yeah. be kind of looking at the various weapons that are up on there and then take a spear down. Anyway, so I mean that's another way to do it. He has. Oh, that's well, no, because he 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 needs his spear. He needs his spear to 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 wound the trees. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking in terms of in terms of in terms of um, in terms of adding another wrinkle to the to the confrontation between the Valar and and Vanor, and just making it even more making that a more complex issue. Right. You know, like looking at the idea of sort of. Uh, you know, like build, making weapons and carrying weapons around is kind of a Pandora's box. Right. Um, right. You know, one way to make that come to make that more complex, and in particular to have it come back around and bite Feanor, is if one of his own weapons ends up being used to kill his father. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Yeah. So let's 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 think about how we would do that when he goes to Formanos uh, in episode yep. thirteen. Cool. Yep. Good. All right. So, look forward to next time. Now, speaking of next time, um, next the next scheduled Friday would normally be December 30th. Um, and as it happens, that's a travel day for me. I'm flying home. My family's going out to Phoenix. I'm flying home that day. So I won't be available to broadcast on that day. Not to mention the fact that between now and the next scheduled episode, uh, Baby Kale is scheduled to uh, to, to yes. join us. Baby Kale, episode, we need to but... find a role for Baby Kale to play. That's true. Of course, he'll be, you That's know, yes. now and then he'll be off to college by the time we finish. We or maybe to... even in grad school by the time we finish the series. But you know. That's true. So are you looking for a role for him to play as a baby or are, you, or are we planning ahead? Oh, no. We Starting need to start grooming baby. him to be our successor, basically, is what we need to do. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. Christopher. Yeah, that's true. We gotta, we gotta, gotta integrate. We gotta get, gotta get our, our these kids. He and Matthias. Uh, We're counting on on Baby Kale and Matthias. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They're gonna be doing, well, they're, they're gonna be doing some kind of new. They're just gonna be directly broadcasting their thoughts into people's that's brains. True. <laughs> it's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So w- when you set that part of your cerebral cort- cortex to download the podcast stream at that point, then we'll. Uh, yep. <laughs> We'll, we'll have Baby Kale and, uh, and Matthias running it. So anyway, okay. Um, anyway, the point is, we probably a, a, a little bit of extra time would probably not go amiss in the Kale household as well. So um, we're gonna we're gonna postpone the next episode until the week after that. So it will be the week of the sixth. It'll be January sixth, and then we'll do two weeks in a row. So we'll do an episode on the sixth, and we'll do an episode on the thirteenth. And uh, and then we'll be back to our fortnightly schedule at that point. All right. And we'll fix Great. the I'll fix the uh, schedule to show that. Great, excellent, very good. Okay, so I'll see you guys in three weeks, and you have three weeks. And it's you know it's not a bad idea anyway to have three weeks to to discuss and plan the climax right. episode. Anyhow, so, you know the culminating no. episode. So. Right on. Start thinking yeah. about casting. Start right. thinking about casting. Yeah, we are going to have so yeah, and and so next time we will also discuss the uh, uh, in in next episode we'll discuss the post production schedule as well. Please, please start thinking about casting because I'm pretty sure the three of us have probably I'm pretty sure in the first round of casting, yeah, we exhausted (laughs) the actors that we know. Yeah, exactly. I I know, and and, yeah, absolutely. Um, I still know a few other ones. I I I don't. (laughs) Actually, we have all the ones that didn't make. You know, we still have the, the pool of people that didn't get cast the first time. Right, year. true. So we have true. That's true. 
True. Okay. Oh, and script discussion tomorrow night at 7.30. It's uh, for the uh, Formanos episode that they're doing. So, uh, Awesome. So, all right. Very good. Thanks, everybody. And uh, I will uh, uh, we'll, we'll see you guys in three weeks. Happy holidays. And we'll see you guys next year, actually. So uh, thanks right. for another good Great year of film film. And we'll see you in a few weeks. So thanks for listening. And Godspeed.